Thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Barry Harker and you are listening to The Bible Teachers. We are continuing the search for certainty with Pastor Danny Malenkov. This is the third program in the series. Hi, Danny. G'day, Barry. Danny, you've examined the outline prophecy of Daniel 2 and the major signs that Christ's return is near. What's our topic today? Well, today we're going to be looking at the all-important subject of how do we prepare for Christ's soon return. And I've entitled the message, Rescue from Above. Sounds intriguing. I'm sure you'll tell us more in your own introduction. I look forward to your presentation and it's over to you now. Thank you, Barry. Looking forward to it also. Today, in the search for certainty, our title is The Rescue from Above. Rescue from Above. On Thursday, August 5, 2010, a significant cave-in trapped 33 miners some 700 metres or 2,200 feet below the Earth's surface in the San Jose Copper Gold Mine located in Copiapo, Chile. Rescue teams rushed to the mine to begin the rescue effort. Were the miners still alive? Nobody knew. Each year around the world, hundreds of miners are killed in mining accidents. Would this accident add to the statistics for 2010? Day after day, the rescue team drilled into the rock to seek to ascertain if anybody could be located. Families waited and prayed. Just when all hope of finding anyone alive had evaporated, after 17 days, communication with the miners was established. They were all alive. Hungry, but alive. Now that their position was located, it was time to seek to find a way to rescue them and bring them to the surface. Finally, after enduring the longest shift of their 69-day, they were rescued from above. Their families, friends, fellow Chileans, as well as the rest of the world erupted in celebration as one by one they were brought safely to the surface. Tired, needing a good bath, but most important of all, they were alive. All 33 miners were discovered alive. The 33 miners' only hope was to be rescued from above. A similar yet far more significant rescue event from above took place some 2,000 years ago. This time, the fate of the entire human race Everyone who has ever lived on this planet was at stake. This time, heaven sent a lone individual, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to perform the greatest and most significant rescue operation this universe has ever or will ever witness. How did it all take place? And what significance does it have for me and for you? What we will discover in this presentation in God's Word has the potential to transform your life, my life, not only in the here and now, but forevermore. But before we begin and unpack this all-important message, Rescue from Above, from God's Word, we need to, as always, pause and ask for God's Holy Spirit to lead and to guide us. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask and pray that you will bless us today once again as we open up your holy word. Father, as we unpack this all-important 
rescue from above message from your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts. As we open your word, open our hearts, open our minds, help us to understand the incredible love, Father, that you have for us in sending your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to come and die for us. So bless our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what a great story. A wonderful story that warms your heart. 33 miners who had no hope but had to await a rescue from above. Their only hope was to be rescued from above. It reminds me of this story, this wonderful story that we find in God's Word where God sent His one and only Son to rescue us from above. But before we begin and unpack this powerful story. Let's be reminded of where we journeyed the last time we were together. You might remember the last time we were together, we looked at signs you can't ignore. We looked at five major signs that Jesus gave us that would help us to understand when his coming was near. The first sign was in the religious world. We looked at signs in the political world, in the world of nature, in the world of society and the way society has changed dramatically, especially over the past 100 years or so. And finally, we took a look at the greatest and the final sign that Jesus gave that would usher in his second coming. That final sign, the greatest sign of all, was the gospel going to all the world. Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 verse 14 said, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Notice, the end will come when the gospel is preached to every man, woman, and child living on planet earth. The book of Revelation, the final book of the Bible, has this to say, regarding the gospel in an end-time context. Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7, we read these words, written by the Apostle John. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Notice John uses that same word that Jesus used in Matthew 24, gospel. However, John adds another word, an all-important word, everlasting. It is the everlasting gospel. What does that word gospel mean? It simply means good news. Good news about what? Good news about God and his incredible love for all of his beings. The good news that God loves us, the good news that God has a plan for our lives, the good news that though we have fallen into sin, there is a plan that God has initiated, and that plan involves Jesus Christ at the very center. This final everlasting gospel, the good news about God that has always been the good news about God and his love, that's why it is called the everlasting good news about God. This message is part of God's final message of love to the world. It is known as the three angels' messages. That is why this this broadcast, this radio station that you are listening this broadcast from that is producing this program is called 3ABN or the Three Angels Broadcasting Network. It broadcasts God's love all the way from here 
to ride around the world. John describes three angels flying in the midst of heaven, sharing this everlasting gospel with all the world. Do you know what takes place next? If you keep reading, and we will in future presentations, we'll discover that once the everlasting gospel has been preached in all the world, the very next event is the second coming of Jesus. That's what you read in Revelation 14, verses 14 to 20. It's the second coming of Jesus. That comes immediately after the preaching of the three angels' messages to the whole world. So today we want to discover the wonderful good news about God's love. Before we, before we unpack this rescue from above, we need to discover and go back to the very beginning of where God showed his love to humans in a most powerful way. You remember at the very beginning of time, there in the book of Genesis, in the first two chapters of Genesis, the Bible says God created this world. He created this world in a very beautiful way. This world was created perfect in every way. And at the end of six days, after God had finished creating everything, humans, animals, uh, nature, just everything, everything was perfect. And you remember God created Eve Final. She was his final act of creation. I guess the ladies would like to say that God left the best till last in creating Eve, and I tend to agree with them. I'm, I'm a happily married man, and I praise the Lord that he has created uh, beautiful women um, that can be our companions, and we praise the Lord for that. But the end of creation, the Bible says everything was beautiful, absolutely everything. God created Adam and Eve to live in harmony with not only God, but to live in harmony with the animals, to live in harmony with nature, to live in harmony with one another. They were created to live in harmony with all of God's creation. In fact, God, the Bible says, placed eternity in the hearts of Adam and Eve. God created them to live forever and ever in his wonderful world that would be filled with love, peace, happiness, and harmony. Notice this powerful scripture from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. The Bible writes, He that is God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts. As I pointed out, God placed eternity within the heart of Adam and Eve. That is why we celebrate life today. When a baby is born, we celebrate. We rejoice. Our hearts are glad. But in the same way, when someone passes away, a loved one, a friend, family member, someone close to us passes away, we mourn, we are sad and our hearts break because we were never designed to say goodbye. We were never designed to die. God instead created us to live forevermore. Notice the Bible describes at the end of Genesis chapter 2 the way God intended us to live. The Bible says, And they, that is Adam and Eve, were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Notice in God's creation there was no shame. There was perfect unity and harmony, love and peace. That is how God created us. However, as we know, that is not how things remained on this planet. The Bible goes on in the very next verse, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It begins to unfold this very sad story. The Bible says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be just like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. This is where the sad story begins. The tragic consequences follow this disobedient act of Adam and Eve. God had given them everything, and he simply said, leave this tree, this one tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, leave that alone. Don't, don't eat the fruit of that tree. But they disobeyed. They didn't trust in God. They, they believed the devil's lies that God was withholding something from them that would give them greater happiness than he had already provided for them. Oh, I could spend a lot of time just dealing with this point. Men and women today are chasing this and chasing that, looking for happiness and joy outside of Christ, thinking that there is something more out there that Christ cannot provide for them that this world can. And sadly, like Adam and Eve, they come up empty every single time. The tragic consequences that followed, the Bible describes in these words. Then to Adam, he that is God, and I'm reading from Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. Then to Adam, he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. And notice these sad, sad words. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. That was never God's plan for Adam and Eve. God's plan for them, as we discovered, was for them to live eternally, but not to return to the dust. But it's interesting as we take a look at that story, we discover before God shared with Adam and Eve what the consequences of their willful disobedience would be. Notice the promise that God made. Before the consequences comes the promise, the wonderful promise, the wonderful assurance that God would provide a rescue from above. Notice what we read in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. God says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. There is much we could say concerning this powerful promise that God gives us in his word. But I would like to just simply say that this is the very first promise where God assures Adam and Eve that he will send a rescue from above, that he would send Jesus. Jesus is the seed, capital S, seed. And the Bible is clear. Jesus, through his death, he would bruise the head of the serpent. In other words, Satan would be destroyed. His power would be destroyed. The power of death that he has originated will be destroyed. 
But in the process, the Bible says the serpent will bruise the heel of the capital SC, Jesus Christ. Jesus would experience pain, suffering and shame. Why would God do such a thing? Well, the Bible is absolutely clear. Notice these powerful words, three words that sum up why God would go to the length that we will discover today that he went to. First John chapter 4, verse 8, we read, God is love. God is love. You remember those first words that come out of the mouth of God as he went looking for Adam and Eve? The Bible records in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, And when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and he said to him, Where are you? Where are you? Those three words are translated, God is love. Notice, Adam and Eve didn't go looking for God after they had sinned. But God came looking for them. That is the gospel. That is the everlasting gospel. God goes in search of those that have disconnected themselves from him. Notice how Jesus Christ, when he was here on this earth, summed up his mission. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That is the search and rescue mission of Jesus Christ to seek and to save that which was lost. That was in God's heart right at the very beginning of time when God went in search of Adam and Eve, calling out, crying out with a heart that was breaking in love for them. Where are you? Why does God go in search of us? Notice what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 1. Fear not says God, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Notice, God makes it absolutely clear to us. He loves us. He is, he is out there to rescue us, to redeem us from the hand of the enemy because we are his. You are mine. We belong to God. The reason why I love my two girls that I have been blessed with, they're teenagers now, I love them dearly is because God has blessed me with them. I can say they are mine. God has given them as a wonderful gift to me. Notice what Isaiah goes on and says in verse 4. Since you were precious, this is God speaking, since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored and I have loved you. Notice in the eyes of God, we are precious, very precious. I need to share this with you. My daughters, I'm sure, wouldn't mind me sharing. But ever since they were little, I had a nickname for them. And their nickname was Precious. In fact, even to this day, they're teenagers now. And instead of calling them by their names, their names are Jamie Lee and Genevieve, I generally call them Precious. Why? Because they are precious to me. No matter who they are, what they are, what they do, what they don't do, they will always be precious to me because God has blessed me with them and I love them with all my heart. With what kind of love does God love us? Notice the prophet Jeremiah speaking, quoting God 
with these words. In chapter 31 and verse 3, he writes, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Notice what God says to Jeremiah, that Jeremiah communicates with all of us. Yes, says God, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Notice what kind of love God loves us with. It's an everlasting love. Do you remember hearing those words earlier on when we looked at God's final message of love to the world? We discovered the gospel that needs to go to all the world that Jesus said will, would, would precede his, his return. John says that gospel in an end time context, three angels' messages, the everlasting gospel that needs to go to all the world. We read those words in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6 earlier on. But notice what else we discover in that powerful scripture from Jeremiah 31 verse 3. God says, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Notice how God draws us to himself. He draws us to himself through his everlasting kindness, loving kindness. I remember the day when I was married almost 20 years ago now, as I think about it. And the reason why I stood there at the altar before my wife and looked into her beautiful face and said those two all-important words. And you know those two all-important words? We all do, don't we? Those of us who have been married, I do. The reason why I said I do is because I had come to the point where I could no longer spend any more time apart from this most beautiful woman in the world, my dear wife, whose name is Jasna, that I Loved and still love today even more so than I did back then. I was drawn to her because of her loving kindness. And so I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. In the same way, I believe with all my heart when we discover the incredible love that God has for us, for each and every one of us, we will be drawn to him by his everlasting kindness, by his loving kindness, and we will not want to be separated from him for one moment of our lives. So the all-important million-dollar question is, how will God's loving kindness draw me to Jesus? How will that happen? We will discover the answer to this all-important question when we return next. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 612 4973456 our email address is radio at 3abn australia.org.au that is radio at the number 3abn australia inc po box 752 morissette new south wales 22264 australia thank you for your prayers and financial support Thank you and welcome back. We ended the first half of this all-important presentation by looking at that powerful scripture, that powerful promise of love that God gives us in Jeremiah 31 verse 3. 
where Jeremiah records, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. And we ask that all-important question, How is it that God's loving kindness will draw me to himself? How will that take place? Well, notice what Jesus said. In John chapter 12 and verse 32, Jesus said, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Notice the promise that Jesus makes. Jesus says, If I am lifted up, if people will look to me high and lifted up, I will draw you to myself. What Jesus here is making a reference to is his sacrifice, his great sacrifice on Calvary. Jesus is saying that As you look to me, as you look to the love of the Father that is poured out through my life, if that will not draw you, then nothing else will. And the truth, my friend, is that if the sacrifice of Christ and what he did for us on Calvary, and as we'll discover from the Garden of Gethsemane all the way through to Calvary, if that incredible act of love will not draw us to the Father, will not draw us into His loving arms, then there is no power, there is nothing on this earth that can draw us to the Father. So today, we want to discover what it is that Jesus will draw us to as he has promised, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. So as I pointed out, we want to begin in Gethsemane. Before we go to a a hill called Golgotha, we need to first spend some time in Gethsemane where, where the salvation of the human race was in the balance. I had the privilege of going to Israel and I had the privilege of going there into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray and it was one of the most moving and touching experiences of my life. A few years ago, I had this wonderful experience. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus would make a decision whether he would go through with the plan of salvation that had been put in place Since the foundation of the world, even before God created this world, this plan of salvation that we will unpackage together was put in place. Notice what we read took place there in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Matthew chapter 26 and verses 36 to 39, we read these words as they're recorded by the disciple Matthew. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Notice these powerful words, O my father, If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Notice Jesus here, the Bible says, was deeply sorrowful and deeply distressed, even unto death, Jesus told his disciples. What was going on? What was taking place in the mind and the heart of Jesus? You see, my friend, 
It was here that Jesus had to make a decision whether he would go through with the plan of salvation, whether he would be willing to suffer the consequences of sin that belonged to Adam and Eve and all of their descendants. It was here that Satan tempted Jesus with the thought that it was not worth it. I can just imagine in my own mind what Satan would have tempted Jesus with. He would have shared with him words along the lines of, you came to your own people and they have rejected you. In fact, in a few hours' time, they will crucify you. Jesus, one of your very closest disciples, who was your best prospect, referring to Judas, he has already gone out to betray you. In fact, another disciple who only a few short hours ago said that he would give up his very life for you. In a few short hours from now, three times, he will swear that he doesn't even know you. Ultimately, you know what the scriptures say. All of your disciples will forsake you. Wow, can you imagine what was going on in Jesus' mind and in his heart? The temptation that he was that he had to deal with, that was coming to him from, from the enemy, from his arch enemy, Satan. If you go through with this plan, you will never see your father's face again. The Bible says that for the second time, Jesus went and he prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Jesus didn't want to drink that cup, that cup of separation, as we will discover, that cup that broke his heart, but he drank that cup. The Bible says for a third time he went away and he prayed, saying the same words, Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Luke, the evangelist, as well as physician, records these incredible words, this incredible testimony that none of the other three gospel writers share. In Luke 22, verse 44, he gives us an insight, a deep insight into what Jesus was experiencing whilst he was praying, pouring out his heart there in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Luke chapter 22, and verse 44, Luke writes, And being in agony... He that is Jesus prayed more earnestly. How earnestly did he pray? Luke goes on and he says, Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I used to think once upon a time when I read those words, powerful words, that Jesus' sweat was so severe that it was like great drops of blood. Until one day I decided to do some research and I discovered, in fact, that an individual can indeed sweat literal blood. That's right. You may be thinking, wow, I've never heard of anything like that, that a person can sweat, not just normal sweat that we sweat every day, but sweating blood. Is that really possible? I discovered that it is. Notice what takes place. The term sweating blood is 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 the word, and I might not pronounce it right, I'll do my best, hematidrosis, hematidrosis. There may be, and I'm sure there are some medical people um, out there listening, and I'm sure they'd be able to correct me and give you the right pronunciation. But notice, more importantly, what takes place when a person sweats blood. 
This is the dictionary definition. This unusual occurrence seems to come from a violent disturbance of the nervous system due to excessive fear, pain or furious passion in which the blood vessels compress so severely that red cells are forced onto the skin which results in sweating blood. Wow, can you believe it? This this unusual occurrence takes place when the person's nervous system is so violently disturbed due to excessive fear, pain and furious passion. Was Jesus experiencing this in the garden? Of Gethsemane? He absolutely was. The Bible says he was in agony, great agony. Jesus himself said, My soul is distressed, my soul is sorrowful, even unto death. Wow, we may never have thought of Jesus' prayer in the garden in this way, but this is what was taking place. In fact, I discovered. As I did a little bit more research into this strange phenomena that there have been individuals who have indeed died of sweating blood. In fact, they have sweated out blood until the point where they have died. There is the case of a, of a Swiss author who documents in the 1700s the case of a sailor who was so frightened at sea that he fell down to the floor and his face sweated blood. They tried to help this poor sailor. They kept wiping the blood away from him, but it was to no avail. He eventually died. He continued to sweat blood until he sweated all his blood. On another occasion, there was a nun who was captured by a group of soldiers, and she was so terrified by the swords and the daggers threatening her life that she bled from every part of her body, and she also eventually died. It's interesting what Luke describes in verse 43 of Luke chapter 22. Then an angel appeared to him, that is to Jesus from heaven, strengthening him. My friend, I believe with all my heart that unless God had sent that angel to strengthen Jesus, to let him know that the Father was with him and the Father would see him through, Jesus never would have made it to Golgotha. He would have died there and then in the Garden of Gethsemane. But that is not the way the plan of salvation must be fulfilled. Jesus said, you remember those words? We read them earlier on. If I am lifted up, all men, all women who look to me will be drawn to me. Jesus had to be lifted up. The world, the universe had to witness Calvary. Jesus could not die a solitary death there in the Garden of Gethsemane. That was not part of God's plan. That would not demonstrate the love of God in a way that Calvary would. So we continue on from Gethsemane and we go to the place where Jesus was whipped and beaten and tortured. After that mock trial, he was sentenced to death by crucifixion. Many of you may have seen Mel Gibson's epic, The Passion of the Christ, which portrayed the cruel nature of the whipping and the beating that Jesus suffered. I don't want to go into the detail. It's just too graphic. It's just too gruesome of what Jesus experienced and the way that he was beaten and whipped as he was condemned to die on that cruel cross. The Romans put a cruel crown on his head. The king of the Jews, they mocked him. They put a purple robe 
on his body, mocking him further. The Bible says in Psalm 22 verse 18 where David prophesies concerning what would take place in the life of the Messiah. David writes, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Most would not believe or even fathom the reality of what took place there on the cross. But the reality is that Jesus Christ was not crucified the way we have him pictured in many artists' impression or the way that he is pictured in the movies that portray his life. But Jesus was crucified in on the cross without any clothing whatsoever. That's right, my friend. Jesus was crucified completely naked. That is how criminals were crucified back in the day of Christ. It was to inflict the greatest possible shame, not just pain, but also shame. My friend, Jesus was willing to be crucified in the most shameful way possible in order that he may cover our shame with his robe of righteousness. Notice the Bible goes on and describes what Jesus experienced there on Calvary. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 31 we read, And when they had mocked him, they led him away to be crucified. They led him away to be crucified. Today we are so far removed from crucifixion. I praise the Lord. We do not practice crucifixion today. The Romans practiced crucifixion for the worst of their criminals. In fact, if you were a Roman citizen, you could not be crucified. Crucifixion was only for non-Roman citizens. The, The word crucifixion in the English we gain from the Latin word excruciates. That's the word that was used in the time of Rome to describe crucifixion excruciates. Today, we get our English word excruciating from that Latin word excruciates. And it's true, as I have pointed out, and as you would very well know, it was a painful and most excruciating way to die. In fact, historians tell us that those who were crucified would often live, if you want to call it that, survive for up to three to seven days. It was a horrible way to die. It was slow, painful torture. Every time the person would raise themselves to breathe instinctively, a painful stream would shoot through the veins like wildfire. If the guards were merciful, they would break the legs of the prisoner and the prisoner would die of suffocation because they were no longer able to raise themselves and to breathe. You'll remember this is exactly what happened to the two thieves that were on the either side of Jesus, but not to Jesus. The Bible says instead Jesus had already died. Why is that? We will discover the powerful earth-shattering truth in just a moment. But before we do, notice before Jesus we have three temptations. He is there on the cross and three times through the Roman soldiers, through the priests, and through the thief on the cross. Jesus was tempted to come down from the cross. Jesus was tempted to save himself. Notice what we read in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 42. Matthew records, 
This is how they taunted. This is how they tempted Jesus. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Three times we have the record that these words were spoken concerning Jesus from the Roman soldiers, from the priests, and from the thief on the cross. The truth is, my friend, Jesus did not come to save himself. Instead, Jesus came to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life, not to take his life, to give his life. And that is the gospel truth. The Roman soldiers, the priests, and the thief on the cross, I am sure they had no idea, but they were preaching the most powerful gospel sermon, the everlasting gospel in these words. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Jesus could not save himself from the cross and save us at the same time. Someone had to die. Someone had to experience the suffering that comes from eternal separation from God. And Jesus made a decision that it would not be us, but that it would be him. The Bible tells us that Jesus was on the cross for only six hours. Mark chapter 15 verse 25 records that Jesus was put up on the cross in the third hour or 9 a.m. And he died around the ninth hour or 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Now, why was Jesus on the cross for only six hours? We discovered earlier that most criminals who were crucified would live anywhere up to three to seven days. Why did Jesus die after only six hours? Notice what Matthew records, Matthew 27 and verse 45. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Now this word loud in the original Greek is the word mega, the word voice, phone, mega phone. It was a mega voice. It was a loud, piercing voice. It was a scream. Notice what Jesus cried out, what he screamed out for all to hear, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Notice what Jesus was experiencing on the cross. Jesus was experiencing the pain, the suffering, the separation caused by sin. Jesus took upon himself all of our sins, and those sins separated him from his Father. He felt forsaken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was not forsaken by his Father, but that is exactly how he felt. You remember, Jesus, the Bible says, he was not only God, all God, but he was all man at the same time. He took on board human flesh, and from a human point of view, his human mind, his human heart experienced that separation from God. Oh, what a beautiful truth. Isn't this the everlasting gospel, that Jesus was willing to be forsaken, that we would be forgiven? Jesus was willing to never see his Father's face again, that we might be reunited with our Heavenly Father. Jesus was willing to be separated from his heavenly father, that we may be reunited to him forever. 
Wow, what a what love, what grace, what mercy, what powerful love. Jesus believed by faith, not by experience, not by sight, not by feeling that he would see his father's face again. And he cried out, into thy hands, I commit my spirit. Wow, that is the everlasting gospel. That is the good news that draws us to Jesus Christ, that draws us to our heavenly father. Notice what we read. In Psalm 69, verse 20, where David here prophesies concerning the death of Jesus. He writes, Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. Notice here David describes the death that Jesus would die. It would not be an ordinary death, but it would be a death of the broken heart. Reproach has broken my heart. Now, is it possible to die of a broken heart? Earlier on, we discovered that it's literally possible to sweat real blood. Is it possible to die of a broken heart? We have heard many a teen, we have heard many say, oh, my heart was broken, or I have, I have suffered from a broken heart, and we kind of dismiss that as, as, as just emotion. But I discovered, as I did a little bit of research, that you can actually die of a literal broken heart. It's called broken heart syndrome. Now, what is broken heart syndrome? Broken heart syndrome, which is not the correct name. There is a correct name, and I will do my best to, to, to pronounce it. It's the term takotsubo cardiomyopathy. Wow, how did I go with that? Did I get a, an A or an F? Probably an F. Or stress cardiomyopathy. Now, simply Put, this is what this means. It means that a person dies of a sudden heart failure. That's right, sudden heart failure, where the person experiences such trauma that they die. They have something similar to a heart attack. Have there been cases? Yes, there have been a number of cases documented. One individual that I read about had his wife pass away, and the very next day, that same person whose wife passed away and, and her funeral was held straight after the funeral, the very next day, they suffered this extreme emotional trauma, and they died of a broken heart. There have been many other cases as well. I also discovered that this broken heart syndrome can be greatly increased if you're rejected by a loved one or someone whom you respect. Wow. Was Jesus rejected? Absolutely. Notice what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he, that is God, made him, Christ, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The Bible says, and we know this verse, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
You see, my friend, the truth is that Jesus did not die because of the pain that he encountered on Calvary, but Jesus died of a broken heart. That is why he was on the cross for six hours before he breathed his last. He died of a broken heart. His father's face was separated from his face the first time in all eternity. Jesus could not see through the portals of the tomb. Jesus only by faith believed that one day he would see his father's face again. But he did not realize at the time that there would be hope, hope for him. Jesus Christ died so that you and I might have hope. Jesus Christ experienced what the Bible calls the second death, the death where there is no more hope, the second death that all those that have refused the gift of eternal life will experience when Jesus comes and and when he ushers in his everlasting kingdom of love. My friend, Jesus died that second death. Jesus died that you might live. Jesus was forsaken, that you might be forgiven. Jesus experienced eternal separation so that you and I never need experience that eternal separation. In fact, the Bible refers to death, dying the first time, that most people do. Those who will not see Jesus come, they will all die that first death, and the Bible simply calls that a sleep. But that eternal death, is that second death that Jesus died. That is why so many men, women, and children were willing to give up their lives for Jesus Christ. They were willing to experience the ultimate sacrifice for Jesus Christ because of the incredible love that they had either witnessed or that they had heard that Jesus shared for them on Calvary. Notice what the Bible says in 1 John 3, 1. This is written by the beloved John who was there at Calvary, who was the one that told us about Jesus and his death, who was the one that portrayed in, in dramatic language that broken heart of Jesus Christ. Notice what John writes, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, he writes, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. John doesn't have sufficient words. Instead, he says, behold, look, marvel at the incredible love of the Father that he has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Wow, what an honor, what a privilege to be called a child of God a child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So the question is, my friend, how can I, how can you, how can we become children of God? Jesus was crucified between two thieves. The Bible says one thief that was hung on one side of Jesus, he blasphemed Christ and he cried out, and we remember those words, we referred to them earlier, if you are the Christ, Save yourself and us if you are the Christ. Save me from this cross. But there was another thief on the other side of Jesus. And notice what he asked Jesus. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, and this is Luke chapter 23 and verse 42. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And notice Jesus' response in verse 43. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today 
you will be with me in paradise. What a beautiful promise Jesus shared with this with this criminal, with this person that was only hours or possibly days away from death, that one day when Jesus would come back, he would be with him in paradise. Jesus made it clear that although I do not look like I can save anyone, I cannot even save myself, let alone anybody else, by faith, your faith in me as your Savior, I am telling you that you will be with me in paradise. It matters not what you have done, where you have been, the kind of life you have lived. It only matters that you have cried out in faith and you have asked me to be your Lord and to be your Savior, that you have accepted the gift of eternal life that comes only through my sacrifice on Calvary, that you have accepted my precious blood that has been spilt for your sins, that you may be cleansed and forgiven of all of your sins and receive the assurance of eternal life. That very Friday afternoon, that thief went to his rest with the assurance that one day he would be in the everlasting kingdom of God's love. In John chapter 1, verse 12, we have this beautiful promise. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So who can become a child of God? Anyone and everyone, those who are willing to receive him. So my question to you is, my friend, are you willing to receive Jesus into your heart? Are you willing to become a child of the King of kings and Lord of lords? My friend, it matters not where you have been, what you have done. It matters not. Jesus simply says, come, come as you are, and I will take you just as you are. I will place my robe of righteousness on you. By my grace, I will transform you into my image day by day. But come as you are. The good news of the gospel, the everlasting gospel is that you don't need to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. You can come to Jesus just as you are. Notice these beautiful words that I want to conclude with. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, the final invitation given by Christ in his word. These are the words. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Come, says Jesus, come. Do you desire to take the gift of eternal life that I offer you? The gift of eternal life that I have secured some 2,000 years ago when I cried out, it is finished. The plan of salvation has been fulfilled. I have given up my life that my children may choose to live with me forever. My friend, now is the moment. There will not be a better time than right now to give your heart to Jesus. Come to Jesus just as you are. Don't worry about what Jesus needs to do in your life. He will take care of that in the coming days and weeks and for as long as your life shall last. But right now, simply give your heart to Jesus. Accept him as your savior and you will hear the words that Jesus shared with the thief. Today, I am assuring you, today I give you my promise that when I come, you will be with me in paradise. May God bless you, my friend, and may you today 
Give your heart to Jesus and prepare for his everlasting kingdom of love and grace. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for his precious gift of love that he poured out on Calvary. Oh, Father, we will never truly understand that gift. We will never truly understand what Jesus went through. But, Father, today we simply want to say thank you. And, Father, we want to today invite Jesus into our hearts. And I ask and pray that Jesus will come into the heart of each and every person who is listening right now. Oh, Lord, give them your peace. Give them your hope. Lord, place within them the assurance of eternal life that they may have joy and happiness today and forevermore. We thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. Guide us and lead us and bless us and make us and mold us more into your image day by day as we look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.